0: This is Daruka in Oslo, Norway. Uh, you're listening to I Love This. You should too with Inde Ranva and Samantha Heath. Welcome and happy Halloween out there. My name is Indy Randowa, and here's Sammy.
1: No, <laughs> no.
0: And with me is <laughs> Samantha Hees. Hi. Welcome to I Love This, You Should Too, and welcome to the Overlook Hotel. As we go through the labyrinth of corridors, maybe it's representative of the human mind, maybe it's a labyrinth and there's a minotaur in there. Who knows? The only thing we know is there's always more questions at the Overlook. (laughs) Wow. That was my little intro about The Shining. Oh, so this is a podcast. It's called I Love This. You should too. We're talking about The Shining this week. How it works is, Samantha had never seen The Shining. I forced her to watch it at not gunpoint, at like remote control point. I just suggested and you were like, yeah, cool. So before we get into our discussion about... The 1980 Stanley Kubrick film, The Shining. How are you doing today, Samantha?
1: I'm good. I'm good. I'm getting stressed about finishing Halloween costumes on time, but Mm -hmm. I'm uh, fully embracing the spooky season and uh, looking forward to the Halloween party we're going to, or will have gone to when this comes out.
0: It was great. It was great. It already happened. It was the best. Thanks, Mike and
1: Kelsey. (laughs) Um, and I'm getting excited for all the Halloween things that will happen this upcoming week. Yes. It's been a real good Spooktober. We've
0: been embracing it. I think this podcast has helped us embrace it.
1: I think so. How are you, Andy? I am doing pretty good.
0: I watched The Shining and now I get to talk about it for a while. So I'm,
1: pretty, I'm happy? pretty happy. That's good. Yeah. That's good.
0: And should we talk about what we're drinking tonight?
1: Uh, Yes, I have a flight of drinks right now. Oh, yes. uh, We'll talk about the beer we're drinking. Yes. So we are drinking one of our new home brews, which we brewed in honor of uh, this year's hotel-themed Halloween party and also the fact that we're watching The Shining and that we are being The Shining Twins. So, Indy, what's it called?
0: It's called Red Rum Amber Ale. It's uh, pretty tasty. So before the shining did you know that red rum was murder backwards no i did not (laughs) that's such a good reveal oh i can't believe you didn't know that that's awesome
1: i might have even gasped a little Uh. bit
0: so, for all of these episodes, when we go in-depth into a movie, it is a spoiler zone. We're going to be spoiling this movie.
1: So much spoil. Also, it's
0: been out since 1980, so just go watch it if you haven't seen it. <laughs>
1: Pause now. Yeah. Go watch.
0: And also, we might spoil the novel as well, which has been out longer than that, so, you know, just read it.
1: Just read it. And yeah. I feel like you'll be fine if you read it.
0: So I've read the novel. I don't think we'll talk about it much, but I think I'll bring it up a few times because it's it's important where Kubrick would delineate from the novel how he's different. The choices that he makes kind of make them important choices.
1: I'm interested to hear what is different in the novel.
0: So, so much, but I'll only talk about a couple of them. (laughs)
1: Okay, sounds good. And we've
0: been having some little crossover episodes with other podcasts. We're
1: like podcast famous now.
0: Something like that. (laughs) But next week, we are going to be talking about a movie called Chopping Mall. Yes. And we'll still do our regular thing. But just for the intro part of that, we're going to be talking about Chopping Mall. We'll put a link. I think you can watch the whole thing on YouTube because it's one of those kind of movies. Oh, there you go. Uh, she was talking to a pint glass instead of a wine glass Oh, this it was time,
1: a lower, though. deeper kind it of really
0: It really was. And uh, the Edmonton Public Library podcast called Overdue Finds, I'm going to be on that one, oddly enough, talking about horror movies. <laughs> so if you've listened to the last four episodes of this, you'll probably know everything I'm going to say on that one. But still, you can hear other people's takes on that. Uh, on some important horror movies. So check that one out. It's EPL's Overdue Finds.
1: And everyone should make it the best downloaded podcast that EPL's ever had so that Indy gets asked back a lot more.
0: Yeah, that'd be good. Are we ready? Are we ready to get into The Shining? I'm ready. Let's do it. So okay. we always start off with, I love this movie. Did you? I loved it. Oh, <laughs> Is that our first one?
1: I think it might be. I think this is
0: our first I loved it, I loved it.
1: I loved it. I think it's kind of dated, but I um, really enjoyed it uh, once I got past how dated it was. Did it hold up for you?
0: I don't want to say anything slightly negative because you gave the first I loved it, but I was going to walk back my opinion a little bit. Oh,
1: really? Don't
0: get me wrong. I loved it. It's a great movie, but... Going into it, I unequivocally said, this is the best horror movie ever made. Oh. I'm not sure. So before the other night, I hadn't seen this movie in 15 years. I didn't realize it had been that long. Oh, right. But I saw it for the first time as a teenager. I watched it again in university, and I haven't seen it since. Wow. I'm pretty good at remembering movies, and I think I did. It didn't... I wasn't, like, disappointed or anything, but I think so much of it is... I can't get scared in movies easily, and I can't get scared in something I've already seen right so watching the shining without anything scaring you does take a bit away from it.
1: okay, I can see that so
0: nothing was scary to me, so maybe that's why I don't think it was as right. great as the first time I saw it. I found it terrifying.
1: It was terrifying,
0: and this time nothing scared me, and I was really trying to get scared, but it' just it I'm just dead inside, I guess
1: no, cold, dead heart, yeah. <laughs> Well, that makes me feel like I've put too much excitement into my, I loved it, so. Oh,
0: don't worry. I'm just going to, the more I think about it, though, the more I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe it is the best movie ever made. I
1: feel like you're going to get into all the themes and everything, and you're going to be like, never mind. It's
0: so well constructed, and I won't take anything away from that. And when I say I'm walking back my opinion, not that it's a great movie, I just think that maybe it's not the best horror movie of all time. Right. Quite still possibly is, though.
1: Indy, do you have a favorite part of this movie?
0: That is a tough one. But the first thing that jumped out to me is that very famous scene of Jack backing Shelley Duvall up the stairs and the performances of the two of them. If there's a favorite moment, it would be that. But if there's a favorite thing in this, it's just it's so big that it's hard to pick one because just the how scenes are constructed, the visuals of this film and not in some like CG type of way, just how everything is placed on the screen in front of you is okay. done so meticulously and so cleanly yeah. that it's just beautiful. Okay. So that's probably my favorite thing. What's your favorite part of The Shining?
1: Um, So my favorite part of The Shining is the way that they made everything feel really um, like I, I, I have often talked about how I don't enjoy the anxiety that happens during a horror movie, but I actually kind of enjoyed it this time. I think it was really well done. Mm-hmm. Um. I liked when he has the bad dream before they've even left for Colorado, they or before they leave for the Overlook. Uh, Danny sees um, a flash of the twins and some other stuff in the hotel, and it really sets the scene. And you like, I think I already knew as well going in uh, that the twins were at the end of the hallway, and that they say, "Come play with us, Danny," and because mm-hmm. I think I've seen like. Like parodies of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really enjoyed um, the way he was kind of tearing around the hotel on the bike. And that happened a couple times. Oh, that
0: scene is fantastic. But
1: then when it actually happens and he sees the ghosts, every time that he didn't see the ghosts, I was so anxious and like, I, could, I felt scared and like, like, um like nervous. And I really enjoyed that because that same scene that's very basic, he's just biking around a hotel mm-hmm. on a tiny little bike, I think that it really, um, it creates anxiety and emotion. And I, I really enjoyed that.
0: Yeah, this is another great tension building movie yes. we talked about in Halloween, how he was able to do that. And I think this does it, I can argue which one is better but it's fantastic yeah as well
1: yeah so i think um every time there wasn't a ghost at the end of the hallway i still felt like oh it's coming it's coming and then it didn't and then i'd just be like oh okay and then he'd take off around another corner there'd be another you know hallway end coming up and i'd be like oh it's coming it's coming and then i'd be like really um like anxious the entire time and i i actually enjoyed that this time
0: yeah, this movie, I was surprised how often we do get to see things. Yes. I thought it was a slower build than this, and it's a slow build, don't get me wrong, by definitely by today's standards, but I thought it was even slower. I thought you don't get to see any slight haunting type thing until at least an hour in, but we do get that little bit uh, right at the beginning of mm. the movie. Of course, if this movie was done today, probably in the first five minutes, we would have a a flashback to the original Grady killing all the people and you would see a lot more because
1: people now have no imagination that's uh, and they they need to be shown everything so Wendy, what was your least favorite part of this movie because I feel like there's a couple moments for me but do you have a least favorite part because you said this was your favorite
0: definitely I have a least favorite part um towards the end of the movie Shelley Duvall is running around and seeing all sorts of crazy things and she goes downstairs, and there's cobwebs, and then there's skeletons dressed in clothes. Yeah, that seemed so out of place for this movie. It did. In a world where ghosts are just looking like people, to have a skeleton in a suit is
1: yeah, because all of a sudden she's hallucinating, but she's not hallucinating and seeing ghosts the way that everyone else in this movie has.
0: Yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird shot. I don't like it. I don't think it fits in. It makes it look like lots of other much worse movies when Mm -hmm. they're just like, ah, skeleton and cobwebs, that's scary. Yes. It looked like a haunted house that someone does themselves. It's strange, and I wish they kind of cut that from modern releases of it.
1: I feel like she could have seen the same thing that he saw when he kept going into the lounge. Like, people in flapper outfits, because that would have scared her that just as much. would have been terrifying. She's been alone in this hotel with her family for months, and all of a sudden, she sees a ballroom full of flappers and, like, people who were from, like, the 1920s. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make a lot of sense to all of a sudden see sca- skeletons. Yeah.
0: It just didn't fit with everything no. else that had been established. I agree with that. What's your least favorite part?
1: Uh, the use of the n word
0: <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's a Stephen King, so you know there's gonna be something oh, like that
1: I know we d- you did warn me about that, but yeah. I um, oh, that entire scene mm-hmm. um where uh Grady is talking to uh Jack. And they used the N-word back and forth quite a few times. I just like winced every single time it happened.
0: I didn't really go back and do any research or anything because I feel like I just know The Shining. But at the time when I had first seen it when I was like 19 or when I watched it again, I was reading all sorts of stuff about it then and reviews from the time found that very jarring. So it's not like a different time. This is 1980. It's not like this is 1950 or something, right? Mm. So it was strange for that time, too.
1: That's good. I'm glad because I feel like there are some movies where it was okay when it was done. Mm -hmm. And it just has not aged well in that respect because there's some like really dated language. Not that that's ever okay, but it was more socially acceptable back then. And I was worried a little bit that that was like the age of the movie and that that was really like okay.
0: See, I think it's almost... It's not like it's good that that word is used, but it's better if it's used in a sense where yes this is meant to be offensive. It's not just like, hey, this is just how we talk. Forget about it. No big deal. Cuz when it draws attention to it like I think this movie does. Yes. I think it plays into some other things at least.
1: Yeah. I know absolutely.
0: So then overall, was this movie scary? Yes. Were you really scared during it? I was it? scared. Oh, There good. were some,
1: like, heart-pounding moments. And I bet if I checked my Fitbit, my heart rate would have gone up and down during watching it.
0: That's good. I'm really glad that holds up because it's so hard for me to to tell because it doesn't scare me. Well,
1: because you have a cold, dead heart. Right,
0: right, right. <laughs> Except I'm the one that, like, cries in every movie. I know, so. I know. I just don't scare easily. It's a blessing as well as a curse. <laughs>
1: So I just checked my Fitbit and my heart rate did go up and down quite rapidly um, during this movie. And I think that is a good um, like indicator indicator right? that I found this movie quite scary in parts. And then it kind of lulls you into a false sense of security at times too. Now let's talk about the characters individually. Uh, so starting with Danny, um, he, my first initial impression of him was he was super creepy. I never thought
0: Danny was
1: creepy. He looks so creepy. And his facial expressions, like, I'm torn between he's a really good actor and he's a really bad actor. Oh, I think think
0: he's great. I think he's he's very good. Yes.
1: I just think his scared face is not awesome. I think it's
0: fine. And I often hear criticism of just movies in general when people are like, that's not what your face looks like scared. And I was like, I don't know. Like, how do you... Judge that yeah, about how you someone know? else. I feel like you're not I your most
1: cognizant when you're He scared. looks
0: terrified, and um he delivers the stuff well. Okay. I was, I was on board. I thought he was very good.
1: Okay, I found him very creepy and kind of cheesy. Huh.
0: <laughs> that's that's a performance I didn't anticipate anyone criticizing. So I don't even have any sort of defense for that, other than like I thought he was very good in it.
1: So then I'm right.
0: But there's those bits where he's kind of like seizing and like drool is coming out of his mouth and his eyes are just looking off into the distance. That's quality work, I think.
1: See, that's some of the stuff that I found kind of cheesy. Like I felt like it was, it wasn't the...
0: It wasn't great seizure acting. Yeah. I thought it was very good seizure acting. Okay, well,
1: (laughs) we'll have to find a reel of the best seizure acting and really uh, break it down.
0: I know with Kubrick in general... He's not a warm director. Like when we saw um, The Sixth Sense, all of the characters there were treated with some warmth and you get to know them more personally. Kubrick just seems like he's not interested in that. Whether you love that or you hate that about him, that's definitely how he is and how his movies are. They're very... Cold and sterile, and if I had a criticism of him as a director, that's what it is. But I think it's also kind of his strength, right? But that's his style, regardless. Okay. And maybe because of that coldness, you just don't get a window into Danny as much. Also, he's not set up as the protagonist through much of the movie. Mm-hmm. It's kind of Jack's story at first, and then it transitions to him right. more. And it's kind of, and I think that's very effective because it makes you your allegiance. Fluctuate throughout the movie, right? like initially
1: I liked... it's with dad, and you know he's really trying to do his best for his family, and he's going to write this book. Is easy, he? Is easy he though.
0: Yeah,
1: um but he says he's going to write a book, and he, I think uh, I agree with you in that it does make you fluctuate back and forth between whoever's kind of being focused on. Because there is a point where it's focused on the mom, just you know cooking dinner and taking care of her family, and I enjoyed some of the scenes where she was just like. Being her best housewife,
0: should we talk about uh, Shelly Duvall playing Wendy?
1: Yes, let's talk about Wendy. I found her at some points very simple. I didn't feel like her character had a lot of um like knowledge or like deductive reasoning. And I think um that took away a little bit from me.
0: So she is definitely the part of this movie that is most often criticized. Right. A lot of people just talk about how she was terrible in this movie. Mm. And upon my first two watchings many years ago, I definitely agreed. I thought she was the weakest point of it. This time, I came at it knowing the ending, and I really wanted to analyze what she was doing, because Mm -hmm. she gets so much criticism. Also, last episode I was talking about, like, this is one of the most loved horror movies. It's not. I just, <laughs> it is to me, so I kind of assumed it
1: was. Right.
0: It didn't do well. It was not well received when oh, it first came out.
1: That's interesting. Do you
0: know? want to know how many Oscars it was nominated for?
1: Zero. Zero.
0: It was, however, nominated for two Razzie Awards. Oh, that's not good. For Worst Director. What? Kubrick was nominated for Worst Director for this. And oh. that is fucking ridiculous That is to ridiculous. Me. And the other one was for worst actress for Shelley Duvall. Oh. Yeah.
1: See, I can like appreciate her. I feel like she did a, like a good job and she really set that character. I, I think I just didn't enjoy the character. Mm-hmm.
0: So what made me like her a lot more this time? I looked at her knowing the end and kind of this backstory that I've made up, which I think the movie does suggest, mm-hmm. that she's an abusive relationship. Yeah. She has been for quite some time. Mm-hmm. So if you have that in your mind whenever she talks, because she has a lot of these lines where she just comes and says something very simple and just kind of sits and waits. So she'll say something like, oh, do you want a sandwich now? And just kind of sits there smiling. And most people are like, look at this idiot. She doesn't know what to do. I feel like she's walking on eggshells because she thinks whatever she does to displease this man could send him into a rage. Right. And later, a few times, she does speak her mind, even just slightly, and he absolutely does that. He just berates her, he belittles her, and being informed in that way, I feel like Shelley Duvall's performance is crazy underrated. I think it's actually very good, but it took me a while to realize where she was coming from. Okay. So in the end, I actually think it was very good, not even just not bad. I think she was quite good in it.
1: You mentioning that makes me kind of agree with you when I see that and I think about what I know about, like, domestic abuse and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I could totally see that, actually. She seemed very – she came off very dumb and very – I
0: think she's – Scared
1: scared and scared works. like I think if I stop looking at it as dumb and start looking at it as scared, then absolutely. Makes sense.
0: Yeah, because I know a lot of the criticism. Stephen King himself said that this is the most misogynist role. She's so weak. She's so timid. And I was in agreement for the longest time. But then when you look at what Jack is and how quickly he can turn, and I don't think this is just the, the hotel manipulating him. I think this is the person that he is. And the hotel is able to bring this out in him. Right. But he is an abusive person. Like it's just through the and through. I think it's always there. And you can see this play out when the times when how she talks to him, how timid she is, she's walking on eggshells this whole time, and then when he does snap, she just always tries to rephrase him like, no, okay, I didn't mean that, I just meant... And it's not that she's so weak and always trying to please. She's scared. She's scared for herself, she's scared for her son, and she has nowhere else to go. She's just such a lonely person, and she takes on a lot of childlike tendencies because her only friend is danny she has nothing else right so i think that's that's why her performance is the way it is
1: okay okay you've brought me around on her i think um looking at it from an abuse standpoint and her like self-preservation and they do mention that he dislocated danny's arm at one point so i think that that really makes sense as to why she would be so scared to set him off because she's worried that he's either going to hurt her or danny yes yeah,
0: And then at one point in the movie, she absolutely thinks that happened. And we only get to hear about the, the dislocated shoulder, but that's just because it came up with a doctor. We don't know how many more times this has happened. True. And I think that's a strength of her performance, that if you look into it, and and Jack's as well, that you can build this history for them by the yes. way they act. You think that like, that wasn't a one-time instance. This has happened many times.
1: I agree. Um, the moment where he pulls Danny onto his lap,
0: Oh, that's such an unsettling scene. So
1: uncomfortable there. And I have that in my notes. And it's like supposed to be like a warm fatherly moment. And I feel like I remember doing that with my dad. And like, you know, there was a sense of comfort there, but there is no sense of comfort.
0: No, it's just the like, are you having a good time? And he's like, I want you to have a good time. He's
1: like, let me go. That's so scary. Yeah. He's like, just let me go. And the way he
0: says it, he's just, yes, dad. Yeah. Like oh, see, good performance, good Danny.
1: Performance. Okay, okay. Also, um,
0: isn't it funny that Danny is played by Danny and Jack is played by Jack?
1: Yes, um, I have come around on those two characters.
0: All right. Well, then, shall we go into uh, into Jack Nicholson as Jack Torrance?
1: Torrance. That's right. One of the things that I really enjoyed about the character progression progression of jack is uh how normal he seemed during his job interview at the beginning of the movie he seemed like any you know guy with a young family going in to try and get a job that he quite wants and he really wants to impress the employer and he seemed very normal and then how incredibly different he is at the end of the movie
0: I, in that interview, I definitely never thought of Jack as being normal. He seems like such a creep to me.
1: Oh, really? He seems like, and I
0: think that's a criticism of him is that he starts off crazy. So where does he go? But I don't think that's valid because I think he definitely does have a progression. And oh, yes. like He goes from like a creep to just like a straight up psychopath. Right. But when he's in that interview, he's comes off like he's really trying to please them and not doing a great job. He's like, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, we love that. Murder, no big deal. Cool, yeah. (laughs) He doesn't seem normal to me at all. He seems like a real weirdo right from the beginning. But I think his character does change for sure. But there is a progression there.
1: There is. And maybe I'm remembering it after having seen his end progression. Maybe. And then the beginning of the movie he seems super normal or
0: maybe you just think that kind of person's normal maybe which i don't know what that says about me i hope i don't act like that also did you see what he was reading when he's no. waiting for the interview
1: yeah
0: no. or the second time uh he's reading a playgirl really yeah and that's very strange what yeah
1: in a hotel
0: yeah why is that there
1: yeah that should not be just out
0: no it shouldn't
1: which one's playgirl
0: I I don't I don't know how to answer that question. What do you mean? Which one is Playgirl?
1: Because Playboy is naked women, so is Playgirl naked men? I
0: think so. Okay, I've never actually read a Playgirl, but I'm either. under the impression that that's what it is.
1: I don't think I've actually seen a physical Playboy either.
0: I must have seen them on a shelf at somewhere at some point.
1: Do they still have them? Thanks. So. Is Playboy still in print? Well, you can. Tweet like most at print us things are gone. I l t y s two. And uh, let us know if you've seen a Playboy recently. <laughs> <laughs> that is super weird. And I did not notice that. That he's reading porn, basically. Mm-hmm. Porn, like, of the time, that would have been, like, very scandalous.
0: I think that's scandalous whenever. If you're, w- there's, if there's a hotel lobby that just has playgirls in it, that's weird.
1: Yeah. Especially because, isn't there children running around at the time? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a hotel.
0: There's an article about incest uh, that's featured on the cover.
1: Okay, that's gross. Yeah,
0: it's not like a how-to, but it's still like there. (laughs) How-to on incest. So then, of course, (laughs) being the movie that it is, so I guess you don't have context for this. So Kubrick is famously a perfectionist, right? So much so that there was always rumors that he typed up all of those pages of. I'll work no play makes Jack a boy mm-hmm. that he personally did it. That's not true. But he did make people do it. He said like, no, no, you can't photocopy it. Each page has to be unique. Right. And they're like, we're not showing all of them. He was like, no, we'll know everything.
1: Because you see like six pages.
0: Yeah. And maybe they all more. have
1: different like spacings and stuff, which was cool. I think that really added to just how crazy he is. Mm-hmm.
0: In all of his movies, he's noted as a perfectionist. He makes people do crazy amount of takes. Uh, and when I say that, I mean, he holds the world record for most number of takes. Really? So you know when Shelley Duvall's backing up the stairs? Yeah. 127 takes.
1: Seriously? Yeah. Oh my
0: god. And I think a lot of you out there might think, like, of course, that's a crazy number, but you don't realize how much time that takes on a set. Mm-hmm. That's not like a few hours. That's days. Yes. There's days of a shot. One shot. Not like scenes, not multiple takes of different angles of that. One shot. There was a part where, you know, where um, Scatman and, or his name is Dick in the movie. I call him Scatman rather as always. I like Dick that But Dick Holland is talking to Danny at a table there. Yeah. That was about a hundred takes on Scatman. What? Just him saying his lines. And he famously broke down into tears and said like, Mr. Kubrick, what do you want of me? And was just crying. Oh. And he's an old man by yeah. this point. It's tired. It's very late at night. And he just made him keep going. He's like, no, you're gonna keep going. That's you're gonna get nuts. this.
1: This is clearly before Hollywood child-like laws. Well,
0: Danny wasn't there for. Oh, a Oh, Danny of this. wasn't there. Okay. So the
1: one good thing
0: you can say about Kubrick is he was good for Danny. Danny would only do three hours per day of actual shooting. They would have like rehearsal time oh. and stuff. But he was treated well. One funny thing is he never knew this was a horror movie. Because really? he was never actually exposed to any of the actual scary stuff. Oh, so there's um. So
1: he just acted a certain way, and yeah. Oh,
0: so there's a behind the scenes footage that was done by uh, Kubrick's wife. Yeah, and it's on the the DVD and the Blu-ray and everything. Right. And I, I remember think I read about that. Yeah, seeing that many years ago, and it just like really made me want to make movies even more. So because the way that this was shown, it shows you like what it's actually like. A lot of behind the scenes things, like here's how we made this crazy composite with all of these orcs right but this is just someone walking around while they're doing their stuff and like people are arguing it's taking way too long the light's changing and it's it's what it's actually like
1: Ah, i want to see that now
0: oh we we have it it's right over there okay it's only like 35 minutes we'll go
1: over there and watch it
0: (laughs) but just about kubrick being a perfectionist and when um, hollerand was killed also he made him do that many many times There's parts of it where Kubrick will come in and change the angles of boxes that are in the background. He's like, no, no, that's not good there. That's not good there. But that's
1: why you have a lighting director.
0: So also, he is like the most hands-on cinematographer. So you have a cinematographer who sets up the shots. Kubrick just does it himself. Oh. The cinematographer will do his stuff, but Kubrick sets things. He's a perfectionist. There's this one story that Jack Nicholson told, which... I want to believe it's true, but maybe it's not. So they were walking, and I think it was a frog. This was in the United States at this point. um uh, Kubrick said, like, well, that frog shouldn't be there. It should be in Boston. And he got, like, some of his film crew to take the frog to Boston, because that's where it looks better. What? Yeah. <laughs> he also, like, wore a helmet whenever he would be in a car. He wouldn't fly on planes. Oh, actually, this is probably the best way to show you what a... Uh, How much he loves to control things and how much of a perfectionist and how everything means something to him. So, you know, this big, giant, beautiful hotel we're shooting in? Yes. Do you know where that
1: is? No.
0: He made it. That's, there's no hotel. He built it. Those are all sets in London. What? Because he he won't fly. So he won't go to the US. He Uh won't shoot there. He feels like anything that he finds isn't going to be perfect. He needs to have complete control. So he sent people, I think there was about a year of them taking photos of hotels throughout America. Right. And then he had all of this built. These giant sets, all of it is built.
1: This must have been such an expensive movie.
0: I don't know that it was that expensive, but he also, he had come off. The last five movies were just huge, huge successes. Oh, okay. So, so could, people
1: were willing to spend Yeah, He money. can do
0: what he wants. He's right. Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why later on we're going to get into some crazy theories. And if it was any other director, you'd be like, oh, that's just a mistake. There's a playgirl there. Someone just forgot about it. But because he's such a perfectionist, because he picks these, like, specific carpets and everything, people attribute a lot more meaning to it. And a lot of the times it's crazy nonsense, but a lot of the times you'd say, like, well, yeah, he made that choice. Mm -hmm. And if he's going to make that choice, like, why is he making that choice? Okay. And because he made the set, there's a lot of parts in it that are kind of impossible. Right. Like, you were saying that you felt kind of uh, just uneasy in a lot of the stuff. I did, yes. And when he's going through those corridors and stuff on his big wheel, Daniel. that is. So if you actually map it out, it's impossible what he does. Oh, really? Like he would have made a circle and been in the same place. And with another director, you'd say like, oh, yeah, they used a cut and they just didn't really pay attention to that sort of stuff. But I think it also makes it if you're going through rooms and you expect one thing, even if it's at like a really subconscious level almost and that's not there and you're getting into a new place when you should have been in a complete circle that's unnerving and that makes you kind of uneasy without even knowing it maybe
1: so i was thinking that the inside of the hotel was a lot like a hedge maze
0: absolutely there's (laughs) definitely a doubling with yeah uh, with the mazes
1: the inside of the hotel you never really feel like Like, there are movies that are set in hotels where you kind of get a like an idea of the layout because the characters go to the same places every time you get
0: a good grasp on what's where on for like sure. yeah
1: the floor plan and you could probably say like oh yeah okay so this down this hallway it's over here and this is over here down this hallway and if you go in this hallway you can make a complete circle back to the lobby and whatever this you never got an idea of the layout of the hotel no
0: and i think there's good movies that set it up and you know where things are and there's bad movies that it, there's no continuity to it yeah some might argue that this is in that category but i think this is something completely different that they know what makes sense and they subvert that to kind of mess with you
1: oh interesting. like the
0: room where he has his interview that's in the middle of the hotel but there's a window in that room yeah. How is there a window in that room? Yeah. It doesn't make
1: any sense. No, it doesn't.
0: And we saw on the other side, there's an impossibly big room on the other side of it. So that can't be the end of the building. No. It just can't be. No. So there's a lot of things like that where it just doesn't quite make sense. It's
1: a maze. There's also
0: things that move around, like chairs move around throughout the movie. Yes. And yeah, perhaps it's just a continuity error. But with such a perfectionist like that, I think it's more likely either he does that to mess with you or perhaps that he was composing a shot and goes, well, that chair doesn't look perfect, so I'm going to remove it. Hmm. I think that's probably more likely. It's okay. not as fun, though. That's
1: fair. I definitely noticed some things disappearing in other shots mm-hmm. um, from like time to time when we'd see it, uh, especially in that big, great lobby shot um, where, he has his, where uh, Jack has his desk. I think um, you notice things kind of coming in and out.
0: Oh, yeah. The chairs move. His typewriter starts white and ends up blue.
1: Yeah. So I think uh, that also adds to just like the uneasiness. You never feel like you get a good grasp on anything. No, you're always
0: on edge. Yeah. But I feel like something as big as a typewriter changing, getting replaced completely. Yeah. How would they not notice that? I think... It's things like that that make me lend some sort of credence to all the crazy theories about this movie. So what did you find the most scary in this movie?
1: I think the twins. Mm -hmm. They were scary. I didn't realize they were British also. Not that that was scary. British (laughs) people aren't scary. Are they? Uh (laughs) If you have a
0: ghost, especially a child ghost, and it has a British accent, I think it's scarier.
1: (laughs) I found it. Like, really unsettling, and I enjoyed the way that they did all the shots when they were in there, and they, like, really focused in on his face and everything, and I think that made it even scarier. And I also really, like, was quite scared during the scene where he goes to check out the lady in the bathtub.
0: Oh, yes. Uh, Jack at this
1: point? Jack at this point Mm. goes to check out the lady in the bathtub, and, um... As she slowly draws back the hair. like I, I loved, but also kind of was super scared of how slow everything went. Yeah, and, the,
0: and it, you're not sure, like, is this in slow motion yeah. or is everything moving slow? And I still don't really know.
1: Yeah, and that's a good, that's a good point because it did. It felt like it really built that anxiety and that tension as she's pulling that back, and um, you already know at that point that he is like losing it and he's clearly not seeing real things because he's just seen a a ballroom full of people from the great gatsby i like that he kind of becomes a little bit more sane during that and he starts to see her as she really is Mm -hmm. which is like an old lady who's covered in like decay and and is very scary laughing in a very scary way and i was very startled when that happened. Mm-hmm. And I found that very scary.
0: I think that's one of the few like true horror movie type shots. Yes. Right? Because a lot of it, it's really psychological and mm-hmm. it's more subtle, but that's straight up horror stuff right yes. there. And it, yeah, it's creepy for sure. Do you remember when Shelley Duvall's running or, or Wendy, I should say, is running around and you, she looks into a room and there's like a bear dog man filleting a man?
1: Yes. Was yes. that scary? Uh no, that was not scary. That was just weird.
0: That about that always scared me. Really? Yeah.
1: Cuz oh. it's just so like what what's happening? <laughs> I was just like really confused by that scene and mm-hmm. why it needed to be there? Yeah. You could just say
0: like well she's running around everything's crazy and that's a crazy thing. But
1: I think that goes so in the bizarre. same category as the skeletons dressed in clothes.
0: Oh no, I I disagree. I
1: feel like that doesn't need to be there.
0: Oh, I think it's it's good that it's there because there's nothing that kind of like knocks me off kilter more than that because I was just like what is happening? It seemed so just like utterly confusing. Right. And you were right there with Wendy because she is just terrified but also perplexed and her whole world's just kind of crumbling around her and then she sees this and it's There is a bit in the book that kind of explains it, but the fact that Kubrick didn't put any explanation in, I think you can't just say like, oh, it's from the book. Right. It's something, and it's something that I just can't begin to understand why it's there. I think this is a movie that's a good introduction for like, it's a sliding scale between literal and figurative Mm -hmm. in this movie. Just because you see something in this movie doesn't mean that that thing happened. Right. I think it's just... It works on, like, another level a lot of the times. Okay, it's yeah. It's kind of just implanting ideas in your head more than it's worried about the plot at some points, mm-hmm. which can be, like, really off-putting. And I think that's what makes it a kind of a, a deeper level of a horror movie.
1: Mm-hmm. What did you find scary? You already talked about the bear dog man. <laughs>
0: Although that wasn't scary at this time. That <laughs> I knew it was coming. Um for some reason like the couple of times when Danny really does that Oh yeah. And he like really goes and that voice just doesn't seem human that actually like startled me. Tony's I thought it voice. was scary. Yeah. Yeah. Also I think just it's kind of hard to um to put into words but there's two such different things working in this movie cuz like first you have the Overlook Hotel which we don't really understand It's not like in um, a lot of movies, you'll get an explanation of this is what happened. This is why this is happening. Mm -hmm. You never really get that for the Overlook. We think it's haunted, but either way, it seems ominous and malevolent, right? Right. And it's just unknowable and there's no explanation given. And then that's coupled with the exact opposite of that in Jack. Because it's the most familiar thing possible. It's his father or her husband. Mm-hmm. And by combining these two things, it kind of plays on the scariest parts of both. Yeah. Because I think if there's anything scarier than uh, just a big unknowable haunted mansion hotel, it's that someone that you had trusted or someone who has so much access to your life and you're just intertwined with can just snap. And just Mm -hmm. turn on you. And that's That's terrifying. terrifying. No,
1: absolutely. And even if they aren't the best person, it's still terrifying when they really go all the way.
0: And then despite, like, Jack and the hotel being exact opposites, they're blended together a lot. Right. Rather than having cuts a lot of the time, Kubrick used dissolves. And there would be a dissolve of a shot of the hotel. And then it dissolves into Jack's face. And you just kind of get the two of them melting together like that a lot. And that was really cool. And... Did you see how often that Jack was shot in a mirror? Yes. And it would be like off-putting. Like there's that one time when he's, um, I think he's sleeping and the shot is of him and the shot gets wider and wider. And then we realize we've been looking in a mirror this whole Mm -hmm. time. Yeah, because
1: when she comes into the room, it's not completely obvious that it's a mirror.
0: No, and it's kind of jarring Mm -hmm. to think, to realize what you're looking at isn't what you think you're looking at. Yes. And it's useful in that. And it's also useful in just linking him and the hotel because you're not not looking at him. You're looking at the hotel. Mm -hmm. You're looking at a piece of furniture and it represents Jack because the two of them just kind of get lost in each other. Yes, absolutely.
1: And the spirits and all the bad stuff that's happening in there or that had happened in there.
0: There's mirrors just all over this movie and we can talk into like what they mean.
1: Well, do you have any insights to any of this? Um, or else
0: I'm just going to go on for like four hours. So get ready, everyone.
1: Oh, part three and four of this podcast <laughs> are coming at you. Um, I didn't feel like mirrors were really out of place in a hotel because sure. I feel like hotels have a lot of mirrors. I think that's just like a thing. Um, And uh, I did enjoy when you got a good shot through the mirror. Um, I think not knowing that Red rum was murder backwards. Mm-hmm. I think, um that moment where you automatically like when all of a sudden you saw it race through the mirror and it said Murder, mm-hmm. and I was like, Oh <laughs> yeah,
0: in that way the the mirrors almost act as like a gateway to the spirit world, right? yes,
1: and um something's trying to tell you that that's what's going to happen. Like, I feel like Tony or whatever Tony is, mm-hmm. was trying to warn them that murder was going to happen if they continued being there when um shelly Duval, wendy was running through the hotel there was a couple times where you saw her through mirrors mm-hmm. and she just looked terrified and you could tell that when she was talking to danny she was trying her best to be like a parent and to be kind of more calm. And she didn't always get there. But through the mirror, the couple of times you saw her face and she was just absolutely terrified and losing it.
0: And it also sets up like the idea of doubling, which is throughout this movie. Pretty much everyone has a double, except maybe Shelley Duvall. Right. So Danny has his Tony. Yeah. They're kind of the... And so we always call them the twins,
1: They're not twins. No.
0: They're said to be eight and ten years old. Yeah,
1: they're sisters.
0: But they look like twins. Yes. So it's just another idea of doubling and everything repeating itself. Yeah. The inside of the overlook is doubled in the outside with the maze.
1: Jack and Mr. Grady.
0: So let's talk about that one. Okay. So Jack and Delbert Grady, do you think that's his
1: double? I think so. Because, like you said, he never had a sane moment in this movie, and i'm'm I'm, I'm becoming more okay with agreeing with you on that. I think, um, he definitely started out crazy and just got crazier as the hotel.
0: I don't think he started out crazy. I just thought he started out as like, oh, not normal <laughs> he was he seemed weird a, like little, a little off, yeah, so we are told that the caretaker who murdered his family was Charles Grady, yes. But this man is Delbert Grady. Mm -hmm. So it's not the same man.
1: Oh, you're right. They have different names. Yeah. And that
0: can't be an oversight. No. There's no way something that big got through. So I think the actual double is... So let me see if you're staying with me here (laughs) because I'm not even sure if this makes any sense to myself. If Jack is... This Grady's double. Yes, but you'd think this Grady's double would be the other Grady. They have the same name. Yeah. So is Jack Charles Grady?
1: Huh. And he
0: is Charles Grady's double in that he's like a another manifestation of him. Right. Because he's going to do the same thing. And after all, Jack has always been the caretaker. Yeah. Right. So he's always had that job. Is what the, this Grady says to him. Uh-huh. See?
1: Uh, Doesn't it kind of make sense? It does. That That's a good theory.
0: So he kind of is that Grady. He yeah. is Charles Grady. And Delbert Grady is his double then, I guess. But he's also his own double from another time. Right. And it kind of, that sounds like super crazy. But then when you look at the ending with the picture, then you're like, okay, well, they're already playing with that idea. Yes. That time here is is fluid. It's perhaps cyclical, but it doesn't have the same meaning as in our world.
1: So we're going back to episode one in that he was a ghost all along. Maybe. Sixth Sense. Ooh. Ooh.
0: I don't think he was a ghost in like the, the strictest sense, right. but I think it plays <laughs> into the idea of things repeating themselves, specifically violence. There's chains of violence throughout this movie that are alluded to or shown directly. And I feel like almost the thesis of this movie is that violence repeats. Yes, that's kind of when I'm getting into my like, into my own head there, perhaps. <laughs> but I think there's enough to support that kind of idea. And then, of course, other doubles. There's um, the young lady in the tub, and then she's doubled with the old one. Yes. Does Wendy have a double? I don't think so. I feel like Wendy is so much a part of the world of the movie almost yeah because jack is definitely being influenced by the hotel danny has his shining even Scatman has that
1: mm-hmm. but
0: wendy's kind of like along for the ride it seems i
1: feel like she's an innocent bystander in and it
0: seems like yeah.
1: and she's just like and that's why she reacts so badly to everything that's going on is that like she doesn't have that other personality that she can sink into or the other person who can kind of like tell her what's going on she is literally just a normal person who is in this insane hotel world
0: yeah and she's she's so isolated and i think the the idea of isolation in this movie is also yes fantastic that's probably like very apparent to everyone they are literally stranded here they can't get out yeah but the fact that it is this giant hotel and not like a cabin in the woods because you think you'd get the same idea from just some cabin somewhere mm-hmm. but this allows them to isolate each other as mm-hmm. well so each individual of these three characters is also further isolated they're all trapped away from society yes but because the hotel is so big and cavernous and like labyrinth like mm-hmm. labyrinthian is that a word I don't and have... so labyrinthian. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a word now.
0: That uh, that they are isolated from each other, too.
1: Um, one of my favorite themes in hotel-themed movies is that you check in and you never check out. And um, I don't know if everyone who's listening has seen uh, the American Horror Story hotel season, but there is... Literally a person um, or a ghost in every single room who has never checked out. And I love the idea of, like, not just room 237, but every single room has some kind of story. And if you stay in it, you're going to get subjected to it. And I think that by staying in the hotel, they've subjected themselves to every single ghost in that place
0: right well jack definitely is open to all of these other ones because like look at all the people that he sees. right
1: it's a ballroom full of people Mm
0: -hmm. and you wonder if is that ballroom full of people was that a specific event or are these all different people and this is what they get together to do now
1: right who knows get they're just bored
0: yeah why would it be i would be too stuck haunting this hotel forever
1: i hope if i get to haunt a hotel i have a really good outfit on yeah. Like, I don't want to be stuck haunting a hotel in pajamas.
0: That's why you should always wear a sequin dress. I can do that. Just all the time. So you better get changed.
1: Okay, well, um, I'll be right back. <laughs> um, I really want to know more about the other ghosts in this hotel. Because they had a part in driving him to the point where he was ready to kill his family. Because he's seeing all these things. And he's really... Losing touch with reality by seeing all these ghosts, and I want to know who all these ghosts are. I want a movie just about the ghosts in this hotel.
0: All right, well, you should get to work on that.
1: I'm not gonna make it. Oh, I want Stanley Kubrick to make it. Oh,
0: I have some bad news for you. What? He died years ago.
1: What? <laughs> yeah. What?
0: Don't worry, he left behind some masterpieces that we're gonna watch.
1: Excellent. Okay. Are they about the ghosts at the Overlook Hotel? They are not. Oh, okay. Well, whatever.
0: But you can't explain all the ghosts because then you would get into like what I hate about all of the Halloween sequels. Of. They go like, well, actually, this is why this happens. This is why it happens. Yeah, I guess The ambiguity is the brilliance of it. <laughs> True. Every scene in this movie, there's something ambiguous. There's something that you don't fully grasp. And that's what's what's great about it. Maybe we should just get into what do you think actually happened in this movie okay so first question are there ghosts
1: yes are you sure yes how can we be sure i don't know so
0: couldn't (laughs) it be that jack already having has had some issues throughout his life he was an alcoholic and he feels like he needs that again and now he's so far isolated So disappointed in where his life has gone that he's just become mad and made all this up. Mm. Do you know that every time Jack talks to a ghost, there's a mirror behind that
1: ghost? Really?
0: Isn't he just talking to himself?
1: Seriously? Yeah. What? Isn't this movie brilliant? Oh my god! We need to make dinner and then just watch this movie again. Deal. Because I need to see all of these things now. Or there's
0: he looks in a mirror just before, like for instance, the one that there's not a mirror right behind is the woman in two thirty seven. But he does come through past the mirror. Because that's
1: in a bathroom, and ballrooms tend to have a lot of mirrors. Yep. Yeah.
0: And um, first, he's looking directly in a in a mirror the first time we see Lloyd the bartender. Yeah. And he just pops up between him and the mirror. Of course, then um, Grady takes him to the bathroom, which is all lined with mirrors. So maybe he's just talking to himself this whole time.
1: <sighs> then this is a narrative on mental health.
0: Yes, <laughs> yes, it is. I'll, I'll blow up that theory myself, though. I don't. I think there are ghosts. Yeah. Um. Because there's one thing that you cannot explain, and that it's who unlocks the door when he's locked in the the pantry. I think that's a ghost.
1: I think it's ghosts.
0: It's a ghost or it's Danny. That's the only other thing. We don't know what Danny's up to at that time. And it's feasible that he still like feels some sort of love for his father and is, doesn't want to see him like this and he unlocks the door. That's, that's possible. But I think there are ghosts in this movie.
1: I think it's a poltergeist.
0: Wait, so all the other ghosts were in his mind, but the one poltergeist just unlocks doors? Yeah.
1: Because poltergeists are supposed to be the ones who can, like, pick things up and throw them and, like, who can control, like, the energy in the room and make things cold. So,
0: unrelated to everything else in this movie, there is a poltergeist that just unlocks doors. Yes. (laughs) Okay. it just never came up. I
1: think Grady is, like, such a bad, um, like, malicious spirit that he is a poltergeist.
0: Oh, so he's real.
1: I think so. okay. I think so. I think everyone else could just be ghosts or his imagination or whatever.
0: Ghosts or his imagination? Those are two very different things.
1: (laughs) I think it could be either. Mm -hmm. But um, I think that Grady, because he did this awful thing and he was driven to madness or whatever drove him to madness, his pairing, I think um, that that is a poltergeist and that is what's making things happen in the hotel.
0: But was that even him that did it? Or is this a different Grady. Exactly. We don't know. I know early on, I we had this kind of argument, where my point, like to really strip it down, was just it's fun not to know. And you're like, no, you need to know. You need answers.
1: Are you kind of getting what I love about not knowing? I do. I do get that, and I think that knowing all of these things that could could have happened, Mm -hmm. like operative word there being could, um, just makes it even more interesting. And it like, makes it a little bit more fun to watch as well a second time because I'm going to be looking for all of those things and I think I'm still going to be scared and I'm still going to be anxious about it. But I think that watching it with some of like back knowledge, like what we've discussed today, I think that it's just going to make it even better. Oh,
0: well, we have so much further to go, Samantha. <laughs> but yeah, I think that, that part works great in having someone who is perhaps mentally ill, and the supernatural because it allows that kind of gray area in the middle not only in what's real what's in his head but as a viewer if we start off with like oh here's ghosts it's kind of jarring but not in a good way almost and when we have the in the first time we start seeing things we could feasibly think in our own mind that this is just in jack's head and if you're the type of person who's like, Ugh, ghosts, I don't want to see that. That's enough fun. That's not real. It gives you that in to believe things because it be it's just in his own head. But then I think it goes so far that you can't doubt it anymore. I think by the end of this movie, you have to realize like, yes, there is some supernatural stuff at play. What you think it is, is debatable, mm-hmm. but it kind of slides you in there sneakily. So if you didn't believe in ghosts, you're like, oh, I don't believe, but it could be something else. But by the end, you're like, oh yeah, those were ghosts. There's fucking right. ghosts in this movie. And if you were like a non believer, it kind of tricked you into getting on the side of the movie.
1: I like that. I like the way that they've done this. And I think that uh Stanley Kubrick slash Stephen King did a really good job.
0: I think Stanley Kubrick did a really good job, and Stephen King not so much. <laughs> so Stephen King's novel, um There's a lot of really good character stuff. I was surprised how much I loved the first half of The Shining, the novel. And then they get to the hotel and the stuff from the movie starts happening. And I think that's where the novel falls apart. Oh, There's like parts where there's in the hedge maze, there's giant topiary animals and they come alive and like attack people. And there's like leaf like tigers and stuff. Oh, weird. And like, that's not scary to me. And I, I just didn't think it was particularly great throughout that. It's not I a bad I that
1: the scary part of the maze was the fact that someone was chasing him through yes, it. Yes, absolutely. Especially
0: I... when that's been set up with that, all the steady cam stuff that we've seen upstairs. And we already know the stakes that it had yes. when it was in the house. And then this is amped up even further with, there's that axe-wielding maniac after And it's Danny winter. Yeah. And
1: like, if you stop and get... If you stop and he finds you, you die. And if you hide for too long and don't have like an escape line, you die because of the elements. And
0: that stuff looked pretty good, huh? It did. It's all uh, styrofoam and salt. Because, yeah, Kubrick won't go outside. He has to control everything. Oh, my God.
1: Well, they did a really good job. You know, I don't know how many Hallmark movies you've watched, but they always do. um, They always they film them in like June, July, August. And then they get edited and released at Christmas. Mm-hmm. And they used um, this, like, phone... Foam... Of the same year. What? Of oh, the same year, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah.
0: Wow. That's, yeah. A, that's a fast schedule.
1: But they, they film in places like Texas, so they might be able to film in, like, in like Florida and stuff like that. They might be able to film in, like, March. But you always see these people on instagram and stuff who are in these movies and they're like christmas in may (laughs) and like they're in like down coats and boots and like fully dressed and they're like it's 110 degrees out right now um but they use this foam stuff that is so clearly not snow if you look really closely at it like if you're in that hallmark movie haze where you're like everything is believable and everything is lovely you're like not going to notice that but if you're really looking at it it looks like foam it doesn't look like snow and um everything in this movie looked like snow so i was really impressed because it looked like it was snowing and it looked like there was days and days and days and weeks of snow on the ground
0: yeah and it's just Yeah, styrofoam and salt.
1: And the way it was clinging to, like, the trees and stuff, Mm -hmm. it looked really real.
0: I thought that was one of the small criticisms that I would have is most people aren't used to walking through several feet of snow. Mm -hmm. But as someone who is, I'm like, that's not how snow acts. But, like, (laughs) what can you do, right?
1: I didn't notice that, though. Everything else was so real to me.
0: That's a sign of a good filmmaker is that when there are things that aren't great, you either forgive it or you don't notice it because you're so caught up in yes. all the other stuff. That and
1: is I definitely great. was.
0: When we were talking about how isolated they are. You know, another thing that I really loved is whenever they had shots of Jack, you never except for there's that one where um, Danny's on his lap. He's never in the same shot with people. Really, Like when he's talking to Wendy, it'll go back and forth on shots of them. If you just watch movies and TV, there's a technique called like shot reverse shot where Mm -hmm. all it means is it's not terribly technical, but you'll know it and you know when someone doesn't do it. If there's a shot of you when we're talking, I'll often be in the foreground and you'll see a bit of my head and shoulder. And then a shot, mm-hmm. and you're the one talking. Right. But you can see that we're talking to each other because yes,
1: of that. Yes, and then it'll reverse, and yeah. you'll see my shoulder and So it tells, yeah. so you
0: know that the people are talking to each other. This doesn't do that. It'll often frame Jack, especially. He's just by himself. He won't be in the frame mm. with other people. So he's just that much more isolated. Hmm. And I love little things like that. Just, <laughs> because he does those kind of things, that's why a lot of the really crazy stuff you you can kind of see where people are coming from right. because Kubrick does play with these things so much.
1: Oh, your film nerd is showing. Yeah.
0: Well, <laughs> no one brings it out like Kubrick Like does. Kubrick, yeah. Do you want to hear about some of the, the crazy theories and we can shoot them down or you can say like, oh yeah, that makes
1: sense. I I do. I'm, I'm excited about this part.
0: What are your theories on like authorial att- intent?
1: I don't know what that means. Like
0: if <laughs> the author, in this case, okay. Kubrick if he intended something to be or if he didn't intend it does it still matter like if he comes out and says like oh i didn't mean this does it still matter
1: i think so because i feel like something like the shining or the exorcist or any of those books people have read and loved them so much that everything becomes part of like the canon and there are are people who say, oh, well, that was there for a reason. And I think at some point it stops being the author's work and it starts being everybody's work. And, like, the mutual love and understanding of what this universe is doesn't really matter what the original intention was.
0: Definitely. Like, there was that whole um, kind of movement in more postmodern criticism of that the author is dead. Yeah. It doesn't matter what they wanted – if something is there, it's because it speaks to us, or perhaps the author did something without intent, but it was kind of, it's so a part of their culture that mm-hmm. they just do it. Like, perhaps if there's someone, and they always write, uh, minority characters are always poor and robbing people, and they're like, oh, well, that, I didn't intend that. But no, but you were a product of something that taught you right. that, and then you're putting it out there. It's so it's, you, it's valid for, for criticism. Then.
1: Yeah. Now I'm excited for more, like, theories
0: All right, well, let's get into some of these theories. So we'll talk about some that are not my own at first. Okay. And, but before we do that, maybe I'll nerd out even just a a little bit more. And I have a little quote for you. Okay. From Ernest Hemingway, one of my very favorite uh, authors. He said that if a writer knows enough of what he is writing about, he may omit things that he knows and the reader, if the writer is writing truly enough, will have a feeling of those things as strongly as though the writer had stated them. Had stated them. Mm. The dignity of movement of an iceberg is due to only one eighth of it being above water. So he's just saying, like, you can say a little bit if you know what you're doing enough. All of that other stuff is just going to come okay. with it. And his example for this was like the. He was asked, like, "What's the shortest story you could write?" And he said. For sale, baby shoes, never worn.
1: Oh, my God. Right? Oh, that's so sad. So that's the
0: perfect example of this, of that you can say one thing mm-hmm. and all that other stuff that you omit, if you know what you're saying well enough, it's going to come through.
1: Yes.
0: That being said, I feel like half of these are all utter nonsense.
1: <laughs> I'm excited.
0: So we talked about how the movie has doubles. Yes. There's doubles all over the place. Uh, If you play the movie superimposed over itself, one forwards and one backwards, it all kind of like syncs up. Mm. So some people are saying this whole movie is meant to be, it's like front and back. And that kind of goes with like time not being terribly important and being fluid and cyclical that this movie plays as well backwards as it does forward. If you have ever watched it like that, and I may have many years ago.
1: Have you? You
0: get to see some crazy things like when Jack like looks crazily you see the flashes of the girls being killed in his eyes and like there's all sorts of like really cool stuff that lines up like can we do that i guess like maybe you need to get like probably super high or something i think that's the time for this (laughs)
1: let's get super high and do that (laughs) (laughs) all right
0: but i think that's like people playing dark side of the moon and um, wizard of oz like right sure it kind of works but
1: yeah.
0: yeah. yeah um so you know how the moon landing never happened right What do you mean? People never landed on the moon. That was just a hoax.
1: Oh, yeah, that's right. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's a well-known hoax. We
0: should state, because since things like this are up for debate
1: these days, we do
0: believe the moon landing happened.
1: It happened. We all saw it.
0: But at the time, a lot of people said it did not happen, and still people say that. But at the time, most often, it was attributed to Stanley Kubrick, that he was the one that filmed all of that stuff. Yeah. So that's Seriously. a part of because he had done a movie called 2001 a space odyssey right which is is very famous even if you haven't seen it and a lot of the techniques that he pioneered in that were so revolutionary that everyone assumed like oh yeah he did uh he also did the the space landing footage wow And The Shining is his confession. Oh. So we have um, Danny's wearing his Apollo 11.
1: Oh, I loved all of his sweaters. That was another favorite part (laughs) of mine. All of his adorable little, like... 80s clothing that mm. was just like it was so cute
0: so he's wearing his apollo 11 uh sweater so that's that's a little mm-hmm. hint at it that's kubrick is acknowledging that that's what he did the pattern in the carpet looks very much like the launch pads that were used like murder carpet yeah well there's actually a few different carpets, there is a but few different the, the hexagonal one yeah 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 that it looks very much like the launch pads that were used Uh-oh. for the apollo series this one I never saw, but I started when I got into this wormhole. Uh, there's the twins, who are not twins, but twins kind of makes you think of Gemini, of course. Yeah. Sign for the twins. The Gemini program was the one that was before the Apollo program, just as the twins were before Danny.
1: Mm. Who's Apollo. Okay.
0: Uh, in the book... It's room 217, but here it's changed to 237 because that's the average distance in 237,000 miles that the moon is from Earth. All of this is Stanley Kubrick confessing that he hoaxed everyone and made the moon landing
1: i feel like like with a lot of conspiracy theories you can come up with pretty much anything to prove it
0: and also it's about two hundred and thirty-nine
1: thousand miles. okay wow This
0: should have been 239 then maybe i'd believe it okay but yeah that's that's all nonsense if
1: you want it bad enough you can make up reasons as to why yeah and it's like beloved sports teams lose you're like oh, well, look at three years ago when we did this one thing and that happened and now now we're losing. Yeah, And so it's just like, I feel like if you either dig back far enough or dig in deep enough, you're going to be able to come up with something that sounds semi-credible. Especially
0: when people start using numbers. Because yes. they also do the two plus three plus seven equals 42 and that's... The year that they really started sending the Jews to the concentration camps and there's that lady, she's wearing a 42 jersey or it's Danny, he has a 42 jersey. There's so many 42s in it. This movie is about the Holocaust, which is another theory that a lot of people have.
1: I feel like you can get a theory on anything just based on like... But the typewriter was a
0: German brand. And it was the name means eagle, eagle Nazis.
1: Oh, my God. No. (laughs) Yeah, that one's not. That one's garbage. (laughs) You know what? This uh,
0: reminds me of another very good quote uh, from Stanley Kubrick, who said, People can misinterpret almost anything so that it coincides with views they already hold. They take from art what they already believe. And I wonder how many people have ever had their views about anything important changed by a work of art.
1: Okay. That's
0: really good. Because, yeah, you just take whatever you believe. So, yeah, moon landing, nonsense. Holocaust stuff, nonsense. A lot of people believe there's a lot of uh, subliminal sexual imagery. One of the carpets is, like, a penis entering a vagina. And all of it is a very Oedipal stuff. And uh, I think that's, I don't even want to get into it all. It's all nonsense. Yeah. That's the thing that so many people are always aboard is everything looks like a penis to everyone. It's true. what is that about? And they're like, oh, we only build skyscrapers because they're like penises. No, I I don't think it is. I think it's, it's they like have architectural way to hold people. valid.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know about the NK Ultra stuff a little bit? Um, so MK Ultra yes, was I
1: have heard a little bit.
0: Was an American program. This is all real. It sounds like it's not real and it sounds like it itself is a uh, is a conspiracy theory, but there's been declassified documents that prove that this was all real. Um, it was an American program where they did lots of terrible, terrible things to usually unsuspecting victims. Mm-hmm. They uh, tortured them. They dosed them with drugs when they weren't expecting it. It kind of created the Unabomber because he was one of the test people and did all this terrible stuff. Oh, I
1: didn't know that he was one of those test people.
0: Oh, I think so. Oh, I hope I didn't just make that up. And then I'm going to be a conspiracy theorist. Oh, see, I theorist. feel like
1: I've known enough about the Unabomber and a I little think bit about MKUltra.
0: I think that he was one of the test ones... And I think it was computer-based testing, and it uh, messed with him just so much like drove that him crazy. he's very anti-technology after oh. that. You guys check into that. I think that might be right, but I don't want to... Don't quote me on <laughs> it. But either way, uh, part of MKUltra was uh, Project Monarch. There's a poster in the Overlook Hotel that is Monarch, just like these unsuspecting Americans... Jack is being slowly broken down until he eventually goes insane.
1: Interesting. It's all
0: an apology for the MK Ultra program.
1: Is the having to take care of the hotel over the winter like an MKUltra experimentation? Yes. I believe that's true then.
0: <laughs> then there's all sorts of Minotaur stuff. And um, so Labyrinth, of course, yes. goes with the Minotaur. Uh, people say like, oh, Jack is like a Minotaur because... He, The way they shoot him makes him look like a bull? I don't know what that means. I don't think so. I guess he has those, like, curvy eyebrows. But no. No, that's nonsense. And in this one, there's a movie called uh, Room 237, which is terrible. I hate this movie because it's all about these kind of theories. Right. And there's so many good theories that to give credence to this sort of stuff in a movie is annoying. Because there's a shot of a skier on a poster, and they're like, look, it's a minotaur. Like, no, it's a skier, and it says ski whatever mountain it is. Right. So, like, it's not a minotaur. No, it's not. I think, like, if you're going to make a minotaur argument about this, I'll nerd out a little bit more now. <laughs> I don't think this is true either, but... So, there's a minotaur in Dante's Inferno. hmm The minotaur guards the river of blood, much like the elevator full of blood. Yes. And this is the seventh circle of hell, which is for people who commit violence against their fellow man. Mm. Which there's a lot of. But then you go into the ninth circle of hell. And this is for people who have betrayed members of their own family. And do you know what happens to them there? No. They're frozen in a lake. Just like Jack at the end.
1: Interesting.
0: See, that's not even in it. And I think that makes sense. I think sense. that's
1: a good theory. All well, jokes like all jokes <laughs> from the other theories aside, I think that that one actually has a little bit of like significance.
0: Okay, now I have another theory for you. And this one, I think there are some legitimate parts too. So I didn't create this one, but I'll tell you what I'm going to take away from okay. it. Okay. So it's about all of the indigenous American symbolisms throughout this.
1: Right. Did you notice a lot of it? Uh, there was a little bit here and there, yeah. So and from, they mentioned that it's like an Indian burial ground. Right. And, yeah.
0: And during constructions, they had some, like, um, some conflict with whoever the, the local tribe in yes. Colorado is. And... The artwork. There's indigenous artwork throughout. Yes, throughout. And a
1: lot of the stained glass looks a lot like, um, like indigenous beadwork. Yes, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, and
0: for our American or other place listeners, we use the word indigenous. What do they use in America? Native American.
1: Native American. Yeah. I
0: think a lot of the time they just say Indian. Really. I think so. But Native American.
1: In Canada, we call it indigenous. Yes.
0: Um, so the Native American or indigenous people, there are also um, a lot of artwork. Uh, At one part, Jack is throwing his ball against the wall, and it's against, uh, like, some Native American artwork.
1: Paintings, yeah. Yes.
0: The theory goes that this is all about trying to kind of resolve some sort of guilt about uh, about the slaughter of the Native Americans. And that's throughout this movie. It's built on an ancient burial ground. The elevator, which theoretically starts at the basement, comes up and dumps all this blood out, and that is the blood that this place is built upon.
1: I was wondering about the blood because I was like, that is a lot of blood. That's a lot of blood. For just, like, one or two murders.
0: Yeah. But how many have actually been murdered?
1: True. True.
0: How many Native Americans were murdered? Millions.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
0: So that I can kind of see because there's so much imagery of it. But then it goes a little further, the things that I don't agree with. Like, there are cartoonish heads with like the big headdresses like the, yes. the, the typical chief the, thing yeah on um on cans of baking soda which are ones that existed and yes were really no and i thing.
1: remember seeing that it's like aunt jemima and like
0: right so in the beginning when scatman is talking to danny those faces are very lined up and they're all head-on yes and this kind of symbolism symbolizes honesty later on When Jack is talking to Grady through the wall, all of them are askew and facing different ways because this Mm -hmm. is like a dishonest conversation. That, I think, is too much. But then there's photographs of Stanley Kubrick slightly modifying and nudging all of these cans to where they are now. Interesting. So he took the time, a director... On this multi-million dollar film.
1: Took the time to like move things. To
0: tilt cans around.
1: Interesting.
0: I still don't think that's real. But where I think it has some credence is because I think this movie in general is about themes of violence reoccurring. So we can go at it at a very basic level that if you are abused as a child you might continue and perpetuate that cycle uh, of violence and we see that Danny is abused he has an abusive father we don't really know anything about Jack's father but I think that the idea that domestic violence is kind of self-perpetuating isn't it's not a not a stretch
1: no it's not and you kind of give what you learned and it's definitely something that is well documented in the fact that you're probably not gonna be a good parent if you had abusive parents unless you get the help that you need and clearly none of these characters have gotten the help that right.
0: they need. And then beyond just that family unit violence, we have the idea that this violence at the overlook is going to keep perpetuating yes. itself. Because Grady killed his family and very early on, we know where this movie is going. And mm-hmm. that's like a a weird form of tension wherein he says, don't worry, I'm not going to kill my family. And then we're like, oh, Shady's going to kill his family. Yes. And the first times I'd seen that, I was like, why would they just say that right out there?
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: I think that's part of the power that we know where it's going. And we're just like in for the ride. Yes. Almost.
1: Absolutely.
0: So there's that that's going to keep repeating. And whether or not he's like a reincarnation of Grady, mm-hmm. we don't really know. But it is something that repeats. And then we have those lines about how this was buried on an Indian burial ground, how they had to fight off people while they were building it. So it's showing you that America itself is built upon this violence. And that violence is going to keep continuing. Yeah. So that's what I think is, is real. And it's not always about like, dishonesty and treaties broken i think it's about how america is built on violence that violence continues these families are built on violence that violence is going to continue yeah one of the changes that kubrick made is that in the novel the overlook explodes in fire and all burns down oh really and that is very finite it's over all of this is over now but here the overlook is fine and jack freezes and when you think about freezing, it's not the end of something. It's just, you're just going to thaw it and do it all over again.
1: It's true. It's left to perpetuate the cycle again. Yeah. Oh, I like that one. I like that theory.
0: He changed something to the exact opposite. You feel like he has to have done that for a reason. Yes. And it's not like freezing is more cinematic. it's quite the opposite. no right? I did not
1: enjoy seeing his face all frozen. I yeah. feel like I feel like we could have had like a like a really far panned out shot of him sitting in the hedge maze frozen.
0: did it like you thought it wasn't well done or it, it was you kind out? of
1: cartoony hmm. like i I didn't think it was well done. I think a farther out leaving you to like, oh, yeah, he's dead, he's frozen. like I didn't think we needed to see his face and his eyes open and everything like that.
0: And then if you're following this line of how, like, America was built upon this violence, there's a lot of American symbolism throughout it as well. Like, through for the first half of the movie, Danny and Wendy are almost exclusively dressed in very bright red, white, and blue. Right. But then as things get worse, they start losing that, and they start getting into more of the, the muted tones. Perhaps that's just a coincidence, but it seems like there's definitely a lot of that at play. Yeah. The use of color, I couldn't quite figure out where they're going with it
1: um this isn't a theory it was just something that i really enjoyed was um when uh jack throws the ball down the hallway in anger and in my notes i wrote well, i hope that ball doesn't come back and then it comes back to um danny to danny i was like waiting for that for like 45 minutes in the movie cuz mm-hmm. i was like it's gonna- going to come back it's going to be significant like there's no way that you can throw a ball never see where it ends and then not have it come back in a creepy way
0: and i think that adds to part of the ambiguity because is it a ghost that rolled it to danny or is it jack because jack's throwing this ball over everywhere so nothing is like coy clear-cut is where it's coming I like from
1: do
0: you want to hear one of my theories about class i do you know how i like talking about the class know. struggle i love
1: talking about class struggle.
0: Jack definitely wants to be higher class but when you look at him he's very not so much he was a school teacher something happened there we don't know what happened but he lost his job he wants to be a writer that's not really going where he wants to be and now he's doing manual labor which I think he feels is beneath him
1: Mm -hmm. he
0: wants to be in the higher class And he berates Wendy at one point for she's the one keeping him down. Right. Right?
1: Because she keeps bugging him. Yeah. And And he would
0: be so successful if it wasn't for this family. And I think this is like such a a way of thinking that's so present throughout time. Like there's so much of that right now. I mean, this isn't going to be a stretch if I talk about how like this white male is so fragile in his ego that these other people are are rising to his level. Yeah. That's very pressure for very today. Much. But like if you look at it, who are the antagonists in this? We have uh Wendy, who is female, who he's so dismissive of, who's he's abusive to, yeah. and he refers to as like the old sperm bake upstairs, right?
1: Ugh, I hated that too. Yeah.
0: And that's like that's the kind of guy he is. And then we have uh DeCollorin who is black who after the civil rights they're starting to come up to his level and he doesn't like that and that's why they're using the n-word against him they're proving that oh we're better we're not like that he's gonna come here and ruin things then you have danny who is his own offspring so you think like he'd be on the same size he side he's a white male he's like me but danny's the sign of progress And I think that's more the Apollo 11 sweater than, and the American colored clothing. So it's more, um, a more uplifting look at it, that there is hope for the future and that's Danny. But because that's upsetting the things that he's used to, he's against him as well. Right. And then when the ghosts spill something on him, he's like not dressed well. But they treat him with such reverence and respect. And that's what wins him over to that side. He's right. like, yeah, I'm upper class like you guys.
1: Because it's a fancy party. Yeah. These people are dressed up and they're clearly like fancy high society. So he's like, oh, no, this is where I belong.
0: Yeah. So that's why he's so willing to join these upper class ghosts and leave his, what he thinks, lower class family behind.
1: Mm. That's I like what that I think. I like, I like that theory a lot, actually. Because he is, there's very clearly a class thing when Mm. you point it out like that
0: one thing i didn't like about uh though is like this whole like black mystic thing that's in so many movies yeah that's the only time like you get a good role if you're either indigenous or black you can tell the white people how to use the powers that they have but you do it in a folksy way but then of course they're going to be able to do it better than you exactly
1: yeah yeah, because danny can do it better than him
0: but that being said i thought Scatman was like a much needed little glimpse of warmth in this very cold movie, and I did like him quite a bit. And I, yeah, I guess so. I guess I don't have a problem with it or anything.
1: No, I agree. I liked Scatman in this because he was really the only person who, other than his mother, who showed him love. Mm -hmm. He was really nice to Wendy as well, and he came back and tried to save both of them.
0: Yeah, and isn't that heartbreaking that we have so much time from him? Being in Florida, getting this inkling, calling in, going on a plane, getting a car, getting the snowcat. And then he walks in and is just
1: axed. I know.
0: He takes two steps in and he's just killed like that. It was very upsetting.
1: It was very much like, oh, it's going to be a happy ending. And like, everything's going to be fine because he's coming to save the day. And maybe there'll be a big battle scene. But like, it's not going to be heartbreaking and then it's super heartbreaking because he stabbed the moment he gets inside the hotel he doesn't
0: even have a chance to try to save them no and that I think is a real Kubrick like fuck you and fuck your expectations like I do what I want if you think this is what's gonna happen you don't know what's coming and in the novel Scatman does save the day and they all leave together
1: oh yeah and then he's Danny's new dad
0: I assume yes okay it's heavily implied. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that we never talked about, though, is the music. What did you think of it?
1: I liked it. I didn't find it super jarring, and I didn't feel like it took away from the movie. So I think that it worked really well with the movie, and um, I made a note – in my notes that I liked the scary music anytime he can either hear people or he's getting an inkling that he's about to see someone Mm -hmm. I liked that because it really set the tone for the scene
0: oh it's funny because I thought since you didn't like it in Halloween that you'd think this was too much because it's a lot Mm -mm. and it is jarring but I think in a good way like it it makes you feel all these things it's so like unnerving at points And it's a mix of um, the Wendy Carlos and she worked with someone else too, another woman that they did the music together. Yeah. And then there's a lot of classical music as well used in it. But the Carlos stuff has, there's human voices in it. It's creepy because you can kind of hear it, but there's like, yeah, shrieking. So it's like the walls of this hotel are just screaming out in pain a lot of the time.
1: Oh, that's scary. But I like that.
0: I love the very first shot we get. So the movie just starts and it starts with that music and it's the car driving in. I actually know where it is because I could recognize it. That's the going to the Sun Road at Glacier National Park, one of my very favorite places. So I've driven through there so many times that I knew like, that's not Colorado, that's Montana. But the music is like a funeral dirge. So it kind of sets you up with what's going to happen. You know that bad things are happening when you hear that music.
1: Oh, yeah. And I feel like that really puts you back. Like, even if there has been a whole bunch of, like, feel-good scenes, one right after another, and maybe you're kind of getting lulled into a false sense of security, like, everything might be okay, that music comes back on, and you're, like, instantly back in that moment where you're feeling anxious and scared.
0: Or every time there was a title that just said Wednesday, that music would be just, like, right in your face and terrifying. No,
1: I really like the music in this one.
0: And I know one of the songs, one of the classic pieces that's in it, it was written for the um, the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Mm. And that kind of, I'm sure that plays into one of those many American violence things that I was talking about right. earlier. <laughs> I don't know if we actually like outright said it, but I think what this movie's really about, like on a most basic level, is just like an abusive father, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's just
0: everything is magnified because of the supernatural elements, because of this isolation that yes. they establish. But that's really what it comes down to, I think. And going along with that, there's so many times when Danny tries to scream out and he mm-hmm. just is silent. Yeah. And I love that because it kind of goes along with like in this abusive family, the children are kind of like often silent and not heard. And you can't really, he doesn't really have an outlet at all.
1: It's true. I I like that. Um, and I, I definitely agree because I feel like there is things in this movie that are very much a direct mirror of what would happen in an abusive home like if you got rid of all the ghosts and the scary hotel and the past murder and everything a lot of these things it just breaks down to what would happen in a home that has abuse in it
0: yeah and everything is just kind of amplified because of this setting
1: absolutely Mm -hmm.
0: so we established that you think there are ghosts right do you think that he drank alcohol
1: no i don't think that was real just ghost booze. Just ghost booze, yeah. yeah.
0: I think you're correct. Because I don't think they can just manifest alcohol no. into being. But I think that was more representative of him choosing to go back to his abusive
1: past life. Yeah, because yeah. he was on a quote-unquote good path, right? Yeah. Like, he was being better and they were going to do this as a family. And then all of a sudden he gets sidetracked and goes back to the way that he was before they decided to make this change.
0: Mm-hmm. What about room two? 237. What do you think it is?
1: I think it's the room where the bodies were stacked up because they said they stacked them up and locked the room, and he then went and killed himself. So I think that's the room where they found them. Oh,
0: do you think that's the mom, maybe? I think so. Huh. I, I never thought that. I think But that makes perfect sense. I think
1: that's the mom. I think maybe he left her in the bathtub or, or something. And uh, I think that she's just haunting there because that's maybe all she knows.
0: Yeah, I I don't have a good answer of what actually happened there. I didn't think it was that, but that makes perfect sense. I'm not convinced Room 237 exists at all. Like maybe it just represents the worst in everyone. It's like a real dark place that they go to. Like Danny goes in there and he comes out with bruises that kind of remind him of, of the abuse at mm-hmm. the hands of his father. Then when Jack goes in there it kind of sums up what happens to him throughout this story. Yeah. Like first, he's completely seduced by what the hotel spirits have and what they show him, what they look like, just like he's seduced by this beautiful woman. And then as soon as he sees things for what they really are, it's it's too late because he's right. already like in their grasp. Just like He's literally in her grasp, and it's too late. He's already making out with this naked, rotting yes. corpse. And it's too late. He's already given up, and he's going to... To go on this path to try to kill his family. Yeah. Well, you know what? This is like the longest episode ever. I have more notes. (laughs) I say we just skip them all and let's wrap it up. Okay. But to wrap it up, at the end of this movie, we zoom in on a picture and it's clearly Jack and it says July 4th Ball, 1921. Yeah. And he's in a photo. So what do you think happened in this ending?
1: I think that the hotel has absorbed him in Mm -hmm. i think that he's not charles grady i think that he is just another victim of the hotel that drove him mad that he was kind of absorbed into the history of the hotel just based on that
0: so do you think he was in this picture at the beginning of the movie no and then after he's kind of been won over by the spirits or after he dies he gets absorbed in
1: he gets absorbed in
0: and do you think the next caretakers, he's going to be the one there telling them to... Yeah. I think that's very legitimate. I think that's what I think, but I don't even know.
1: You think that's what you think? I don't know.
0: That's what this movie <laughs> does to me.
1: I think that's the mark of a good movie, though, is that if you really don't know and you have all these thoughts and you end up thinking about the movie for a really long time after, I think that's just... that That's a good movie.
0: I think it kind of goes into what I was talking about, about the history of violence repeating itself. Mm -hmm. And he says he's always been the caretaker here. When he comes in for the first time, he says, like, oh, I feel like I've been here before. It's the strangest deja vu. I don't feel like him, Jack Torrance, has been there before. But I feel like he is just interchangeable with Charles Grady, with Delbert Grady, with any of these other people. And it is rooted in that violence that this hotel has but it's just so much more. Like, maybe it's saying that that the time here is fluid. Maybe he was there before. Maybe he's reincarnated. Maybe he was absorbed into the hotel. Yeah. I don't know, but it's fun to think about.
1: It is. Good movie.
0: Good movie. I loved it. Me too.
1: <laughs> you came back to I love it. Well, I loved it the whole time. Yeah.
0: I'm just not sure it's the greatest horror movie ever. It's definitely in the Fair. top five. Yes. I think it probably is the greatest ever, but... I'm less straight up convinced and I feel like I have to go watch some of those other contenders. Let's yeah. go watch some. All right. not <laughs> thought we are just going to watch The Shining again.
1: Backwards. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Let's do that.
0: Whew. Well, that was uh, quite the journey. Thanks for joining us while I rambled on and on and Sam made good points. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, thank you for that. Um, I hope you're still with us. If you are, good job.
0: Yeah.
1: I... I'm very interested to hear what you think uh our listeners what you think, so you can email us at i love this, you should and the number two at gmail dot com You can tweet or instagram us at i l t y s and the number two and uh, you can find us on Facebook at i love this you should two dash podcast. Yes. We want to hear all your theories. And yeah. see all your Halloween costumes. Oh,
0: especially Please that. Please
1: send us pictures of your Halloween costumes and we'll repost them um, on Facebook and Instagram.
0: And if you are using not an Apple device, if you look at your album art for this, you'll see a fun little thing of us.
1: Oh, this is the first week where I'm not using an Apple phone. Oh,
0: so you'll be able to I'm see gonna it. I'm going to to see it. Yeah. Yes.
1: I had a very sad incident with my Apple iPhone, so <laughs> I am an Android user for now.
0: You'll never go back. <laughs> So, next week, we are going to be talking about Chopping Mall first, yes. kind of round out the end of our Spooktober. It's a silly movie. It's on YouTube. You don't need to see it. We're going to make fun of it for like 10 minutes it's or so. True. And after that, Samantha is going to tell me her pick for a movie that I need to see. I'm really excited about that. And there
1: will be ghosts. Oh, what? It's not even
0: Spooktober <laughs>
1: I know oh. I'm easing you out of Spooktober okay, I feel like I'm... it's too abrupt if we just launch right into Christmas
0: Yes I'm very excited for that And I am going to be on Overdue Finds The EPL podcast So go listen to that And we're also on some other podcasts But uh, we'll put that information out later
1: Excellent
0: <laughs> well, Thanks so much for joining us Have a happy Spooktober And a happy Halloween We'll see you next week.
1: See you next week. Enjoy the rest of your time while you are awake. <laughs> that was weird. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let's <laughs> try it again.
0: <laughs> Do you want me to say goodbye? You
1: say goodbye.